Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Press Row. Behind the scenes stories from the world of sports media. Press Row. Inside and interviews from around the sports world. Now, here's your host, Jonah Siegel. Jonah Siegel here, Press Row. Uh, interesting times. We've certainly gone through more change in the last, you know, 12, 13 months than we have any other time, certainly, that I can think of. Um, I'd certainly say our, our strength, our perseverance have certainly been tested. And uh, with that in mind, given the opportunity to talk to a world-class business leader with really interesting perspective on where we are, where we came from, where we're going. And uh, thought it'd be a good pivot into real world as opposed to the traditional sports media talk. Um, I know you love all that. That's why you come here. But I'm really hoping that uh, you'll enjoy today's unique episode with a senior executive, former senior executive from a top brand that uh, I had the fortune of working for for some time. But first, a little bit of business. Friends at Bet Online, fastest, easiest way to do all of your online gambling. Not just the place to make a bet, but also the place to study, get some entertainment, news, scores, odds, whatever it is. Basketball playoffs, deep in. Hockey playoffs, deep in. Uh, bet Online is your online sports book expert. Sign up today at betonline.ig. Get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online is your online sports experts. Hi, guys. This is Jay Ashbrook from Seattle Shirt Company. I know you're thinking, if I'm not in Seattle, why do I need a shirt from seattleshirt.com? The answer is because we carry much more than just Seattle shirts. Check us out for everything from NBA and NFL, throwback jerseys, sweatshirts, hats, T-shirts, you name it. Right now, we're offering free shipping on all orders over $9.97 and over $30 to Canada. Check us out now at seattleshirt.com and enter the code PRESSROW, that's P-R-E-S-S-R-O-W, at checkout for an extra 15% discount on your entire order. Once again, that's seattleshirt.com. Now back to more of the Press Row. Here again is your host, Jonas Siegel. Welcome back in the press row. Jonas Siegel here. A uh, spectacular sunny day, which we all have come to appreciate in these extraordinary times when the sun shines, everything is a little bit easier to digest. You know, when we started this podcast, we, we really were focused on the world that I am infatuated with as a hobby, and that is sports media. Relationships are, are the core to who I am. And that has allowed me to interview different people on different topics. Uh, you've probably gone back and looked. I interviewed one of Steve Jobs' first hires from Apple and uh, had, had the head of emergency at Toronto's Mount Sinai when, when COVID first hit. So I like to take this to places where I am interested in people and topics. And I'm fortunate that my network provides me access to people who I think are incredible storytellers and who are inspiring. And today we're, we're going to continue on that path. He is famous and infamous, if you will, at the same time. Um, you may not know him or his name, and that's okay. But in all likelihood, in the course of today, and yes, I mean it today, you will probably see a, ro- a location that maybe not that specific one. He had a very big part in rolling out uh, one of these locations that you see literally everywhere, no matter where you are globally former executive from Starbucks. He is Howard Bihar. Howard, how are you? I'm doing great today. You're right. It is a beautiful day in Seattle. I'm looking out my window into Puget Sound and it's nothing like it. So you've got an incredible background and and people listening are probably wondering what the hell is is Jonah doing having a business executive come in and, and this type of podcast. But you know, you and I were introduced to each other through the old social network where an old high school friend of mine is someone that you've, you've come to know over the years. And that's interesting. But if you look at your website, howardbihar.com, there's something there that has recently struck a chord with me. And while I'm not overly religious, I will say 
changed my life. And I'll tell you about that in a minute. But the headline on your website is leading with purpose. And I had a similar interaction with somebody on the topic of purpose that again, changed my life. And we'll speak about that in a minute. But tell us a little bit about why that is so important and integral to be the headline on your website. Because for me, it's always been the driving force. You know, you know, people have dreams, wishes, hopes, and dreams, but you know, when you don't have purpose behind that, a reason for your wishes, hopes, and dreams, right? It just seems like life is empty. I have a, I have a saying on my wall, that, and you probably heard of it. If you don't know where you're going, any path will get you there. And so I try to live my life with intention and with purpose. And you know, purpose for me, I have a personal mission statement that you'll recognize part of it. it it's uh, to live my life every day, nurturing and inspiring the human spirit, beginning with myself first and then for others. And I plagiarized part of that from Starbucks when, I, when we when we did our BHAG, you know, Jim Collins BHAG, Big Harry Days of School. And that has driven my life for the past 40 years. And so I try to live my life every day doing that. You know, I want to nurture and inspire the human spirit. And I have to do it for myself first, because I know that after living for almost 77 years, I know that if I'm not OK with me, I can't help anybody else. So it's just a driving force. And, you know, funny, it's, it's been there almost my whole life, even though I didn't recognize it. I didn't recognize what that meant. I had needed to be connected to what I did. I couldn't just sell something. You know, I needed to be connected to the people that I was selling something, selling a product to. I needed to be connected to the product. You know, I was in the home furnishings industry for a long period of time. And I love that business. Why? Because it was a very creative business. And when you did a good job for somebody, their, their, their home became their home. You know, it, it was reflective of who they were and it was a place for them to be comfortable. And that was a greater purpose. I always thought that no matter what you do in life, whether you're a widget maker, making widgets that go into a printing press, that gets sold to a publisher, that prints a magazine or a newspaper, that gets delivered to somebody's home, the lowly widget maker, right, has a purpose bigger than themselves. They're helping to inform or entertain people in the world. And so purpose to me is a driving force. It's a buzzword today. I mean, everybody talks about it, but it's real. So several years ago, I went to a trade show. And you've probably been to as many, if not more than I have. And the number one question about a trade show when you get there is, are you going to go to the opening dinner where some guy or gal is going to get up there and blah, blah, blah about themselves and you're going to eat really bad rubber chicken? Right. So for whatever reason, I decided to go to this one, despite better intentions or things else I could do working or what have you. And a gentleman got up to speak and his name is Roy Spence. And I don't know if you know, Roy, you may have. Never I, know Roy. I know Roy Spence from Texas, right? That's right. And, yeah. and I will tell you that uh, this is after my career at Starbucks. I was working for a company in Toronto called Holt Renfrew in the luxury retail space. And I got to hear Roy speak. And I've sent Roy's book to 30 or 40 people, his book on purpose. And, yeah. and, and I mean this uh, completely and authentically. He changed my life and he changed my view. And both personal and professionally, when I meet with people, especially professionally, one of the questions I always ask them about themselves and or their company is can you clearly articulate what your purpose is? Because it's actually really important to me that you can. And the one thing that you said that I think is so critically important that so many of us struggle with is not doing something that we actually give a rat's you know what about. Yeah, and, right. and, and caring about something. And I've worked in I jump around a lot. It's just part of my DNA, fortunately or unfortunately. When I joined Starbucks, I had never drunk a cup of coffee and I ended up becoming a coffee master. Uh, you look at me, I'm not into luxury clothes, but the appreciation I had for those who shop in luxury and those who sell it over the top. Um, I can learn to love something, but it's such a mistake for people to just punch a time clock and not care when life is so precious. Well, you know, there's only one reason any we're all put on this earth, period. That's to serve others. No matter what you think your job is, doctor, lawyer, engineer, barista, fire chief, 
architect, uh, podcaster, uh, retired person. There are only one reason any of us are here, and that's to serve other human beings in whatever form that takes. You'll never get, you'll never burn out or bore out with when you're serving other people. As long as you stay attached to that, right? It, life, life is amazing. It's miraculous. But the minute it becomes about me versus we, right? That's when you lose sense of self. When I went to Starbucks for my interview, I met with Kurt Garner, who's, who's since moved on to, uh, let's say, browner pastures because he's in the, yeah. uh, the Tex-Mex space. Yeah. Um, he told me a story of, I think it was a mentor of his who sold life insurance. And on his drive, this person's drive to work every morning, he used to cross a bridge before getting to the office. And as he crossed the bridge every day, this guy would scream because he knew how brutal the job was going to be. And I can't envision living a life that way. And I think so much of what you said is so important. And it, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is that excites you or floats your boat. But in all likelihood, you're going to spend the vast majority of your time doing it. So you better take some satisfaction out of it. It doesn't look at it, it, it. Whatever you are doing, whether you're making a cup of coffee, whether you're uh, selling a, a burger, right? It's a much more pleasant way to live when you have purpose, right? Even, you know, when you're, let, let's take a barista at Starbucks, you know, after a while you serve thousands and thousands of cups of coffee. And if you allow yourself to get into the trap of, well, you're just pushing a cup of coffee across the counter, I'm tired of it. If you allow yourself into that trap, then, then your life is not very fulfilling. But if you constantly remind yourself that you're really a social worker, and then you're there to help that person in front of you have a better day. And, and you have to have antenna in your head and you gotta have your eyes open and your ears open, right? You gotta listen for the, for the nonverbal cues and the verbal cues. That person comes in, maybe, maybe their child just got a full ride to Harvard and they're trying to tell somebody. You gotta be open to say, hey, how's your life today? Or maybe they just got a traffic ticket and it's gonna cost, it's 200 bucks and it's cost their week's worth of food. Right. You know, they want somebody to commiserate with or maybe they just want a cup of coffee, hot, no conversation. And so you have to be able to recognize that you've got to be attuned to other human beings. And that's your role to help people have a better day because you help them. Why do you think it is that companies have such a difficult time or had such a difficult time articulating a clear purpose? because they, they focus on the product or the service or the money. I mean, when I first got to Starbucks, you know, Howard and I had these constant conversations. Sometimes they were yelling matches over what business we were in. When I first got there, I said, I coined a phrase that we weren't in the, we weren't in the coffee business serving people. We were in the people business serving coffee. Sounds like a small play on words, but that's really what we were in. Yeah, was a coffee important? Sure it was. It was our art. You know, it was our music. It was a lot of our creativity came there. But, but at the end of the day, there was only one reason for us to be there. That was to serve others. And that was a, a, totally about people. And, and that's the driving force. That's what makes a difference in our world. And we, get, we just forget it. And companies don't recognize that. Company like Starbucks, it was about coffee, 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 coffee. Okay, fine. You know, we, it was called Starbucks coffee. But at the end of the day, what really made it work was the people, not the coffee. My understanding is that you're largely responsible for Starbucks becoming or aspiring to become the third place. We have home, we have work, and then we have Starbucks. Right. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, well, I don't take credit for it. It actually came from a book called The Great Good Place. And, um, and we were all, re all read that book. I don't know if it was Howard that read that book first. And it had call called The Third Place. And we said, that's who we are. And that gave us direction to our madness, you know. And, and we realized that, you know, there was this, in the early days, you know, the, the people that were in the development side of the business that was getting the real estate, you know, they didn't want bigger stores. They didn't want more chairs because it pushed us into a different, we had to get different licenses to do that because they wanted to consider us a restaurant, which we weren't. And the operating side, which I was, you know, responsible for, you know, we kept pushing, no, we've got to have a place for people to sit. 
to enjoy themselves, to either be by themselves, to, you know, to talk with another human being, to read a newspaper, to work on their computer, you know, and, and so we kept pushing, pushing, pushing until we finally were able to convince everybody that's what we needed to do. Everybody thought it was going to be cost us too much money. And I kept believing that it wasn't going to be the issue. You know, was it going to cost more? Yeah, but the results proved that we, we got more from it because we were serving people. We were focusing on, on them, not us. I mean, the third place, you know, came from a lot of us. I, I drove the people side. I re- that's what I really drove. And my understanding is your belief and empowering people led to what is the Frappuccino, which Starbucks really exploded. You can't see him, but Howard is smiling from ear to ear at the mention of Frappuccino. I hear there is a phenomenal story between how, as to how that came to be. So there was a woman named Dina Campion and Dina was the district manager in Southern California. And she invited me, we just did open a few stores down there and she and we weren't, had, didn't have very many stores at the time. She invited me to come down and to visit her stores and also to take a tour of some competitor stores. So I did that and I came down and one of the competitor stores, she brought me a drink. And she said, you were getting about 30 or 40 people a day coming in for a drink like this. And I said, really? Now, I, I'm not, I barely got out of high school. You know, I had two years of community college, you know, I didn't graduate, but I was pretty good at retail math, you know, 30 times three, that was 90 bucks a day, you know, give or take 600 and some a week times 50 weeks is 30 grand a year. Our average sales in a store at that time was about 600,000. That was a 5% lift in sale. So I said to myself, self, okay, maybe she's got something here. So I took her idea back to Seattle and I called a meeting with all the major people and except for Schultz, he wasn't there. And we went around the table and I said, this is what she's thinking about. Now I had this saying that the person who sweeps the floor should choose the broom. What I meant by that, the people that you assign to different roles in the company or that are assigned to different roles in the company, who knows more about the broom they should use to sweep the floor than those that are doing the work? It was the same with Dina. She, who should know more about what their, her customers want than Dina? Because she's right there on top of it all the time, every day. So this was Dina's broom, right? She was saying, hey, here, we need this kind of broom. And so I brought it to Seattle. I presented the idea, went around the table, the head of marketing stood up. He said, Howard, I can really appreciate that Dina is trying to do something good for the company, but we're not in that business. You know, we're in the coffee business. We're not going to do anything like that. So, you know, I argued for a while and it was his job for product development. So I said, okay, I won't say his name, but okay, uh, no name. Uh, uh, I'll I'll call Dina. And so I called Dina and I said, you know, there's no passion for this right now. Let's give it a few months. We'll come back after it. Well, about a month or two later, Dina called me up and said, Howard, can you come down again? I said, Dina, what, can, what is it that you would like? She says, I, re- I want to show you something about that drink. I said, Dina, you know what the answer is? She said, please, Howard, come on down. I said, well, I'm not going to make a special trip, but I have to be there in a few weeks to look at some real estate. And it was in Santa Monica, California. So, so I, I made the trip down and I went to meet her at the Third Street Promenade store in Santa Monica. And she asked me to go sit down. Those are the days when we only had bar stools in the stores. That's so people were uncomfortable. They wouldn't stay too long, you know. And uh, so I, uh, I went and sat down. She brought me these three little sample cups. You know, we still use those little paper sample cups. And she brought me these three little sample cups. And she said, try these. And I took a sip out of each one. I said, God, Dina, these taste remarkably like that drink we had in one of the competitor stores. And I said, you're trying to get me fired. Right. And she just laughed and she said, and I said, how did you do this? She says, well, I went and got the blenders. I bought a blender. I got the non-fat milk solids. I got the right kind of chocolate from Ghirardelli, you know, and I think we just, there was a team of us here. There was a store manager, a barista and, and Dina that did it together. And then she started pleading with me, let me try this, please. We're turning customers away significant amounts every day. I got to, we got to do something about this. So she said, I think we can sell about 30 drinks a day per store. So, you know, in life, you know, you live your life, you know, sometimes, you, you know, we all break the rules a little bit, you know, and I, my rules were pretty simple. Don't do any, don't do anything illegal, immoral, unethical, and sure as hell don't poison anybody, you know. So if you could live with on those rules, we ought to be able to try it. So I just looked at it. And I said, okay, you can try it, but do not tell a soul. Nobody. 
right? And I want to call every night, not on the office phone, but my home phone, and let me know how it's doing. First week, she had about seven or eight stores. Every store sold about 40 drinks a day. Second week, about 50 drinks a day. Third week, about 70 drinks a day. I'm thinking to myself, Howard, you are a genius, a positive genius. That was Dina's idea. It wasn't mine, but I was still a genius, you know. So I invited Dina and her team back up to Seattle, and and uh, I had got the usual suspects. Only this time I invited Howard Schultz. So Dina and her team brought in the sample cups and went around the room, and people began to smile, except for the head of marketing, who stood up, and he came about four inches from my face and pointed his finger right at my nose, said, Bihar, I told you we weren't going to do this. This is not the business we're in. You stop this right now. And he looked at Schultz and he said, Howard, you tell him to stop. And I looked at Schultz and I had this piece of paper with all the results on it. This was going to be, a, if this continued on, this was going to be a blowout. And I said, Howard, give me 90 days. If you don't like the smell, it'll be gone. I've been in retail my whole life. If something's selling, you never get rid of it, right? So anyway, so Howard, God bless him. Let us try it. And Dina and her broom, the rest is history. Frappuccino became 20% of our business at one time. It is now about a $4 billion business, including bottled beverages. So, you know, you, you hire great people, let them fly, let them run. You know, I had four rules. Don't do anything illegal. Don't do anything moral. Don't do anything unethical. Insurance, don't poison anybody. Other than that, try it. And, you know, so it's, you know, yeah. Were we in that business before? No, but it fit our business. And the guy was wrong. I'm not saying was he fired because that's not what I'm after. But he should have been. But but did he get it after the fact or no? Uh, he was mad. How you know the truth is Howard never liked it either. It didn't fit his view of this pristine coffee company. But he loved the sales, you know. And so I'm a guy that says, look, we if you're listening to your people, and you're listening to the people you're serving, the customers, right? then try it. We're not talking about putting prophylactics on the counter in our store or, or, you know, putting, you know, hamburger patties. We were talking about a beverage that fit with our business. You know, we use put coffee in many of the drinks. And then we got to the point where we said, there are a lot of people that want this without coffee. God, was that an argument in half? And now you can get a puppuccino where it's basically whipped cream in a cup for your dog. Dog, yeah. You know, and I had to fight that battle all over again. You know what we were going to call it. People said, well, we can't have something without coffee. I said, yes, we can. And then they said, well, you can't name it Frappuccino because Frappuccino has to have coffee. I said, yes, we can. <laughs> I said, this is an opportunity to create a, a brand within a brand, right? A business within a business. And it proved to be right. You know, I've, I've been wrong on a lot of things too, but that one I was right on. My, my favorite story like that was with regards to a guy in Boston who I'm hoping you know this story, but I had him tell it to many people. And his name is Major Cohen. I know Major, yeah. And Major, um, I'm not sure exactly what he's doing now, but when I was there, he was head of coffee. He's retired. Do you know his story, how he came to Starbucks? I, yeah, I, I was the one that put, put, helped put the company, the deal together when we bought a Coffee Connection in Boston. And he was working for Coffee Connection. So as Howard, so as Major told, tells it, he was a re, he retired from teaching, and he was working at a photography lab. Right and across the street from a photography lab was a Starbucks, and he used to go in there on his break and drink coffee. And somebody told him at the store, "You're asking a lot of questions. You're obviously passionate about coffee, given your history. You should come work for us as a barista." And he said, okay. And he went home that night and he said to his wife, I got a job at this new place called Starbucks. I'm a barista. Yeah. And she said, what's that? He said, I have no idea. The next morning he woke up and to go to a training and he put on a suit and a tie. Yeah. And he walked into the place and they said to him, what are you doing? He said, he said, I'm here for barista training. So they threw him an apron and he, <laughs> learned, and he learned how to make frappuccinos. Yeah. Uh, lo and behold, he became the head of coffee and that was his, you know, yeah. third career. And yeah. it, it's that kind of story that is so inspiring and what led, in my opinion, to Starbucks becoming such a unique place. In He's America. an incredible guy. Incredible guy. What's interesting to me is when Howard 
Schultz came back from his first small R retirement, if you will. Yeah. He wrote another book, but the gist of it really was that in his mind, Starbucks had lost his way. Yeah. Um, I, I would say to you, as somebody who likes to drink coffee a lot, we are irrespective of what the street may say and what earnings may be and all that. From my perspective, I think it's lost its way again. I think it's, become, I feel like it's become a commodity experience. Um, going into a Starbucks now is no longer special. Um, yeah. It's just, you know. How are you, how are you treated when you go into a store? The same. That's well. Cool. In my opinion, it's lost, it's, it's, it's lost its way again. I'm just curious if you've experienced the same when thing. Say, when you say same, does that mean the people are kind and nice or not? Average, nothing great. Nothing great. It's not what it used to be. Um, uh, I used to love the fact that I could go to the same store every day. And the minute I stuck my head into the store, my drink would be on its way because I'm just pretty predictable. I want a grande iced Americano uh, yeah. or, a, or a double espresso, depending on the season. But I'm pretty predictable. I'm boring that way. And that doesn't happen anymore. Uh, you can't what store do you go to? What store do you go to? Here on Mercer Island. Uh, and you're not getting that. You go to the big one, the drive-thru, or the other one? The other one. Or the one down the south end? South end. South end, yeah. Huh, that's interesting. Thanks for that note. Anyway, <laughs> uh, well, I have different experiences than you, and nobody knows me. And I would say I was in a store the other day up in Anacortes, and this young woman was serving me a drink. She had the most positive energy with everybody she touched and talked to. So sometimes it can be store by store. The intention is for it to be that way, that they, you know, if you're coming in every day, then, and you've got the same bar aces there, somebody should know your drink, right? They, they, they absolutely should know your drink. They should know your name, right? And if that's not happening at your store, then shame on Starbucks. I'd like to say shame on us, but I'm <laughs> us anymore, but, but I'm still feel like us, you know? So I, uh, you know, I hear you and your experience is your experience. So that's how you would feel about it. And, uh, and that's unfortunate, but I, I can't tell you, I, I wouldn't just, I wouldn't agree that it's lost its way. I think, I think that it's bigger, it's harder. It's, it's, you know, you can't touch everybody like we used to be able to touch, you know, all the people that work there. And that makes a difference. And it all depends on the person running that store. It's just like you go into a small store that the, the owner operator is there. It, it all depends on who's running that store and the people in that store. And if that's not right, then yeah, then it's, then it's not as good as it used to be. And, uh, I haven't, I don't find that as much. And I'm, I have a critical eye. I walked by a store yesterday and I had to get a couple pounds of coffee because I happened to be in Seattle. They didn't have any coffee and for my machine. And I was so disappointed in that store. And it's a store that when I was here in Seattle that I would go in regularly, I'd have meetings in there. And I walked in and it was dirty and the, the, there was no, not a feeling of warmth. I didn't even, it had been remodeled. I didn't even like the design of the remodel. And then I'm walking down the street. I'm not going to tell you which store. I'm walking down the street and I could see into the side of the store where you'd go to the bathrooms. And here on the, there's cupboards there. Here on the cupboards, handwritten, were all the different things that were behind this cupboard. And there were boxes stacked up in the window. And I, you know, broke my heart. You know, so yeah, it, it happened. But, you know, I've, I've walked into coffee stores where, you know, not even a chain, individual ones, where they're just as bad, they're worse, you know? So, listen, my, my comment is more at 50,000 feet, more than down to just the store level. Yeah, yeah but see, I can't operate there. I, no, 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 I, no, gotta, no. Yeah, my, I understand. My point is, you used to walk, I'll tell you a story. So... Part of yeah. my responsibilities when I was there was the music side of things. Yeah. And we brought an entertainer into Starbucks because he wanted a tour. He wanted the coffee tasting. We had Major Cohen do it. Yeah. And he said to me that morning, this is Graham Nash from Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Yeah. And he said yeah. to me that 
he loved the Starbucks brand. And he said that morning he flew in from New York and he was in line at the airport at LaGuardia. And there was a two hour, he's making it up, two hour line at the Starbucks. And he was muttering to himself, what the bleep am I doing standing in this line waiting for a cup of coffee? And a woman standing in front of him, very nicely dressed, turned around and she said, I'm a Wall Street CEO. I make more money than I'll ever know what to do. And I'll tell you exactly why you're standing in this line. No matter how many people dote over me, no matter how big my team is, I can tell you that this is the only place in the world that I get what I want, how I want it everywhere. I get my coffee my way, whether I'm in Bangkok, Burlington, Seattle, New York, wherever. That's why you're standing in line behind me. And my comment to you was, it used to be about the human element was critical. Don't get me wrong. And this is just one person's opinion. And I'm back to traveling quite a bit. In my opinion, it's become much more commoditized that you don't get the same feeling when you walk into a Starbucks that you get three, five, two, three, four or five years ago. It just, it doesn't have the look. It doesn't have the feel. It doesn't have the smell. It just become much more commoditized. And I, I hate to say it, but it feels almost like walking into a McDonald's now when you walk into a Starbucks. That's my, well, I mean, part of it is, you know, is the, the sheer number of stores and the fact that, you know, when you know you're walking into a place that has a lot of stores, it's a chain. You feel like it's a chain, but that doesn't mean if, if, if you're feeling that way, that's because of the, that's because of the interactions you're getting at the store. Right. I, I don't ever believe it's about the coffee because I've had good cups of coffee at other places. I've had terrible cups yeah, of coffee of outside of Starbucks. I've had pretty much consistently good cups of coffee at Starbucks. Yeah. And I still get it that way. And I, I'm more, much more critical than you will ever be. <laughs> okay. Trust me. I, I smell it when it's wrong mm-hmm. and I, I don't even have to see it. I can close my eyes and I can tell you whether it's good or bad. And uh, it's, I think part of it is that, is that there's this, you know, we want to feel special, all of us. You know, we want to feel like we matter. Yep. And, and sometimes because of size of things, right? It's like yesterday I walked into Nordstrom, right? I, I could go into Nordstrom, always find something for myself. I'm old now. All right. I realize I'm not there prime customer and I'm not there as much as the kids are, but, but I walked, I went into the men's department, honest to God, there was nothing for me to buy, not one damn thing. And I walked in and I said, well, I can always depend on shoes, right? Always. Cause I've been going there for shoes. I've been buying shoes there. My mother bought me my first pair of shoes at Nordstrom 70 some years ago, right? In the university district in Seattle at a little tiny Nordstrom store that long since gone. But I got from a guy named Tom Gardner. I can remember his name to this day. That's from, that's from that time ago, Tom Gardner. And, and I've been buying all my shoes there ever since. And I walked into the shoe department yesterday, honest to God, that all there were, were these way out tennis shoes. If that's what you call them, I don't even know what you call them. Right. And then over on the side, there was this There was this little deal with about eight or nine pair of shoes. All the shoes had these little spikes on the top, on the, on the front of, and some were in gold spikes, some were, who wears this stuff? Right. And I came out of there saying they're not for me anymore. And so that's part of that. You know, it's part of that. I just, is Nordstrom still a great place? Yeah. I run into somebody that's been there working there for 40 years. I love her. I've known her forever, but I didn't feel special in Starbucks, even though I, I got to talk to her. You know, because, you know, that it, it just is what it is. But, you know, I, I, you're killing me when you say that, you know, that, you know, it's, I'm still emotionally involved there. And, you know, that's a message I'm going to take back. How, what, where are we missing? What are we missing? What do we got to do? I think part of it has to do with, uh, a lot of it has to do with leadership too. Is you gotta constantly, you gotta give the same message over and over again. You get bored with it as leaders. It's the people that count, and this is why we're here. And that's the people we serve and the people that are working in the company. Though we serve those people too. So anyway, I went on a long one. You can tell I'm passionate about this. No, so so here's my question to you then. It seems to me that being a big publicly traded company, 
creates a very difficult dilemma for excellent leaders. And that is when you're a big publicly traded company, you're, you're reporting directly to the street, to shareholders. And what you need to do in order to stay on the, in the positive trend sometimes is going to be diametrically opposed to what you think you have to do smart business leaders. So, yes. so in that case, they might be making decisions to stay profitable, to become more profitable, to increase sales. And those things may come at a cost of paying attention to the details that you speak of now, which, are, which you and I, I think we would agree, are critical to their DNA. They're everything. So how do you balance that? Well, I don't, there's no balance that. There is no balance that. You're, you, you don't get to reward your shareholders if you're not serving your customers, right? And th there's no excuse for that. I, I don't believe that there is uh, an either or here. This is an and. This is, this is, they go together. Getting good returns for your shareholders are not opposite of taking care of your customers in the way they want to be taken care of. I hate to even use the word customers, taking care of the human beings that you're serving in the way they want to be served. And so that, that, this is not either or, this is an and. And that, that's not an excuse. Just because you, because Wall Street's there doesn't give you, first of all, you choose. As leaders in a company, you can choose who you, what you do. And there's no, uh, look at a guy named Jim Senegal, who was one of the co-founders of Costco, he and Jeff Brotman. So Jim Senegal said one time when somebody was pressing him, why are you paying your people so much? And why are you giving them health care? And he just looked at them. These were, these were shareholders. This was on a, a shareholder call. You know, they have these quarterly calls. And he said, if you don't like the stock, sell it. And that's how I believe. And I believe that, that for the most part, Starbucks acts that way. I think that uh, today, you know, and uh, let's just go through COVID, what they did. They kept baristas on, right? Even though they weren't working, they paid, they paid them for like three months and then they gave them their health care, right? And that cost them like, I mean, they lost $3 billion one quarter because they were helping their people. And so, you know, they're doing the right things. And if, if you know, it's, uh, if, if somehow, I, it's not, the problem is not Wall Street. The problem is leadership. If it's happening, you know, if that's what you feel is happening, it's not Wall Street, it's leadership. And Wall Street, fuck Wall Street, excuse the expression. Hope I can say that on podcast. Absolutely, no problem. Uh, you know, like, I mean. Like raw motion here. Yeah, they don't give a shit. You know, I mean, some some shareholders do, but the ones that don't, hell with them. You know, hell with them. Let them buy some other stock. We have to live and die by our values, period. I will tell you that Kara Swisher is probably one of the most successful podcasters today. And I heard her on her podcast with Scott Galloway this week. I'm not sure if you've heard it, but she no. was bemoaning. They were They were talking about, and we don't have to get into the politics of it. But she was talking about the fact that there's a, there's a narrative out there that the reason there's such an employee shortage right now is that people aren't going back to work because of getting uh, COVID checks and because of the high benefit of unemployment checks versus going back to work. And her comment was that her son has elected for the summer to work at Starbucks as a barista. And she said to her son, why are you doing that? You actually, I thought you liked working at the restaurant last summer. And she said, the restaurant treats me like crap. I was making seven or eight bucks an hour. And depending on how the tips were that day or they weren't and what my share was, she goes, they, Starbucks, I'm making 19 bucks an hour. I think that's what she said. Uh, I'm not, I don't need them. Thank you very much. But they offer me benefits if I did, but they treat me like an individual and I'm making an earn, I'm making a good, good wage. And that to me tells me that the right types of things are still happening there. Yeah. It's people. I mean, are there people that aren't going back to work because their benefits are greater than their? Yeah, of course. But that's not the issue. You know, the issue is, and I was taught, we were having this conversation last night with somebody and, uh, and they're saying, well, you know, uh, 
you know, it's what they can afford to pay. Look, I was, I got to be honest, when the Seattle went to the $15 an hour, I was ballistic. I said, what are you doing? You know, I was mad. And uh, I said, this is going to kill it. And it didn't. Now, Seattle was on fire, which helped it. And Starbucks could raise prices. And the people that had to raise prices could do it. And, because you got to pay for that. There are no free lunches, right? And, you know, and, and, the, and the people that were after the 15, you know, wanted the higher wages, they're, they're just like Wall Street, right? If a business closed down, they don't give a shit. If you can't afford to pay the $15 an hour, then you shouldn't be in business, right? That's how they think, right? And Wall Street says, pay me the maximum return. There's no difference, you know? And what you gotta be thinking about is how do we keep businesses afloat and make sure that whatever we're doing to them, right? Keeps them afloat is what we were talking about before. And that doesn't mean that people should get slave wages. Absolutely not. You gotta pay as much as you can pay. And, you know, and I was wrong about that. I, I admit it. I, I was wrong. I wasn't wrong about the scheduling law that they put into. That was just stupid, right? And, but, you know, whatever. So much of who you are and as impressive a, a, a resume and background that you have, it seems to really have started at the relationship you had with your father and running a grocery store, I believe it was. True. So our roots matter. Yeah. And the influences on us at a young age matter. And in your case, I understand it came down to a quart or pint of strawberries. That's right. So I was about eight years old and my dad had a mom and pop grocery store in Seattle. My dad was an immigrant from Bulgaria. He came, he was born in 1995 and he came to Seattle as a 15 year old or 16 year old in 1911. No family, he had a brother that was working, had a small store in Vancouver, British Columbia. And they both ended up being in Seattle, Sephardic Jews. And they, my dad worked in 1911 at the Pike Place Market, could not speak the language. He spoke a language, he spoke Bulgarian and Ladino. Uh, and he went to Broadway High School, which is where the Broadway Performing Arts is today, where Seattle Community College is, to learn the language. And he pushed a cart at Pike Place Market. And over time, he, and with the help of his brother, he opened a small mom and pop grocery store in the north end of Seattle from before the Depression. So I was, I was about eight years old one day and I was standing by the cash register and my dad was waiting on a customer and, and he was filling the bag and ringing it up. And this is the days when I, he had a hand, hand crank, it wasn't even a register, it was an adding, I have it sitting right here. Well, I'll show it to you later, it's sitting right here on my desk. And, uh, and he would ring, up, ring it up and he'd come out with a slip of paper and then he had a cash drawer, no cash register. And he would show the customer the slip and they would pay him. Well, he'd put everything in the bag. And, and then he said to me, Howard, would you go get me a couple of baskets of strawberries in the back? And so I did. I went and got strawberries. I brought them up to the front counter. My dad took the strawberries, put them in the bag, and the customer walked out. I was old enough to realize my dad hadn't rung them up. He hadn't added them onto the slip. And I said, Dad, you forgot to charge them for the strawberries. And he just looked at me and he said, Howard, not everything we do in life should we get paid for. Sometimes we just do things because it's the right thing to do. And these people that we just wait or serve, they're, they're not just our customers, they're our friends or our neighbors. And I happen to know they can't afford to buy lots of things, and particularly fresh fruit. And he said, it was just my way of helping them out and giving them those strawberries. I, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, I was too young, but it stuck with me. I never forgot that story. And I've tried to live my life that way. You know, you don't have to get, you don't got to have to get paid for everything. Everything you do in this world, when I went to work at Starbucks, before I went to work at Starbucks, I said, Howard Schultz, before you decide to hire me, before I decide to come on, can I come work for the, in the company for a week? I don't want to be paid, nothing. I'll just, you tell, here's the things I'd like to do. I like to work in the plant for two days. I like to work in the stores for three days. I like to work on the trucks. Because I was trying to figure out, is this someplace I wanted to be? And I wanted him to get a look at me too. So not everything you need to you do in life, you need to get paid for. I think, you know, the greed, greed of Starbucks is a reflection sometimes of the greed of the people, you know, and uh, we all like to point the finger, but the facts are, there's a lot of us that are greedy. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, we think we got to get paid for every minute we work, you know, instead of giving back, you know, 
And so that's where I learned that from my dad. And that stuck with me my whole life. And it served me really well. Well, I will tell you that, as I said, Roy Spence changed my life. He doesn't yeah. know who I am. And we've never met. Uh, we were at that. You've never met Roy Spence? I've never met Oh, wow. Well, he's a great guy. You know, he was part of the founding group for conscious capitalism with John Mackey. And purpose has become massively important to me. Yeah. You've written two books, The Magic Cup, the two that I know of, The Magic Cup and It's Not About the Coffee, which are must-reads, available not only at Amazon, but hopefully at your local bookstore too, so you can support the little ones as well. Absolutely. I think outside of purpose, the most important element is hope. So as we evolve out of this catastrophe that we've lived through for the last 14, 16 months, whatever it is now, you look, I have two questions for you. One, what are you hopeful about? And then second, as you look out into the broad landscape of society today, what companies or people are you most impressed by? Well, what I'm hopeful about is that somehow we can find our way back to we from, from the tremendous disease that we have right now of me in this country. And it's just so prevalent. It's just almost unbelievable. And I'm not looking, blaming one side or the other, one group. We all have too much me and not enough we. And um, so I'm hopeful that we're going to find our way back. It's not going to be easy. I think that the leadership that we had over the past four years was, was so me-oriented. It gave lots of people permission to just do, be that. And somehow we got to get a leader that says that's not okay. And you got to talk that way. It isn't okay. You know, whether you believe in, whether you believe in Muhammad, whether you believe in Jesus or you believe in Moses, right? You got to be thinking those, all three of those people thought about we versus me and those leaders. It's like mother Teresa. And so we got to find our way back to that. And I think we will. I, I think there'll be, you know, there's this will be this recognition that what we're where we are right now isn't going to work. And if we want to have a country, then that's what we're going to have to do. So the, the second question was um, who, who are you impressed with and why? Okay. Very broad. Yeah, very broad. Well, uh, who is individuals or who is companies? Both. Both. Uh, Costco continues to to lead the way in the treatment of its people and its honesty about doing business you know they're not about transactions right they're, they are merchants they are true merchants they see around corners great merchants see around corners steve jobs was a great merchant he wasn't always the nicest guy in the world but he was a creative merchant you know, he could see around corners. He could see what people might want before the people ever saw it. You know, Amazon, on the other hand, doesn't look around corners, right? They look at what somebody else is doing and then they take it and they put it on and they try to sell it for a cheaper price if they can, not always true, but they're about transaction. Are they great at that? Yes, they're outstanding at that. But, you know, and I, I buy a lot of things from them but I never feel special. It's just a convenience, you know? And this so is... I, I, but I'd say Costco. I like the container store. Uh, I like um, people, uh, uh, Romney, Senator Romney. Uh, I'm not a Republican. I'm an independent and I'm not, I'm definitely not a conservative, but I think he, he stood up. I think that uh, the Congresswoman, um, uh, Cheney stood up and taken the abuse and hasn't backed down. And uh, I, a lot of respect for them. I love Joe Biden for, for what he's trying to do. I think he's got good values. Look at the difference in the dialogue in the United States right now. I mean, there wasn't a day that went by with it. There wasn't turmoil in this country for four years. You know, it's like working in a family where the parents are yelling and screaming at each other every day. Right. And a child has to deal with that. That's what we were dealing with. The temperature has and definitely been turned to deal down. With yeah. Yeah. It's turned down. You don't have to agree with all the things he's doing. That's not the point. 
policies come, policies go. But how people are treated and the respect and dignity we give to each other, that matters. I'd like to think that of the people and companies that you've mentioned, the one thing they all have in common is a clearly articulated purpose. They it's do. something that you've written about. It's something that I believe in. And I really genuinely thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Uh, exactly as inspiring and informative as I hoped it would be. And I hope that you, your partner, Lynn, your six grandkids and everybody in between continue to stay healthy and look well. The sun is shining on your face, which is a good thing. And That's thank right. you so much for doing this. Okay. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. It allows me to live my, live out my mission, to live my life every day, nurturing, inspiring the human spirit, beginning with myself first and then for others. And I hope I did that for somebody that was listening. That's fantastic. Thank you, Howard. Thank you. I uh, really hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Press Row. Howard Bihar is a wonderful human being and, and a, an incredible author and person and lots of life lessons there. Um, I meant what I said that hearing values and definition of purpose has really changed my life and, and I think made me a better person, father, leader, etc. cetera. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. Reminder that the press row is brought to you by Bet Online and Seattle Shirt Company. If you want to advertise or be a partner of the press row, you can drop me a note, Jonah at torontosportsmedia.com. Similarly, if you'd like to appear as a guest, no matter what your topic, do the same. Drop me a note, Jonah, J-O-N-A-H, at torontosportsmedia.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Press Row Podcast. You can subscribe on all your favorite podcast platforms. To contact Jonah or to sponsor the show, email Jonah at torontosportsmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.